as an editor my philosophy is always that look it's not about sounding important it's about making sure that the other person understands you people use complicated language and concepts and i try very hard to remove all of that when we talk about these things i try to have conversations with people the idea i think more than anything else is to try and what we try to do is make sure that we can hold space for as many voices as we possibly can because if nothing else the fact that there is there even if it's only a thousand other people who see it it's still a thousand people who see and you can at the end of the day come together with a certain amount of information and understand it across context Welcome to a special episode series of Pretty Good Podcast, recorded live at the Digital Rights Asia Pacific Assembly in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Engage Media is here with hundreds of change makers from a broad range of sectors who have come together to build knowledge, collaborations, and momentum on digital rights in the Asia Pacific. In this series, we are featuring a number of JPEC 23 participants working across pressing digital rights issues. I'm Vino from Engage Media. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Pretty Good Podcast Live. This is your host Vino Lucero and our guest for today actually needs no introduction. She's one of one, she's the only one. <laughs> We have Amaya from Global Voices. Hi Amaya, welcome. Hi Vino, I think you've talked me up a little bit. <laughs> so, how's uh, Trade Pack 23 for you so far? Repack has been fantastic. I want to thank you for organizing it, all of you, but you in particular, since I know how much you've been working on this. It's been utterly amazing. I can't tell you how much hope it's given me to see the way so many people from so many parts of the world are all coming together because we all think that we need to do something about digital rights, and more importantly, that we can. Just, it's nice because normally digital rights, you're like sitting in a hole by yourself. <laughs> Actually, it you has know, been like that for a few like years. Like the Matrix, you know, like uh, <laughs> like the meme with the guy yes. like that. Yeah, definitely that stuff like so, it. So yeah. So, um, well, speaking of the work that uh, you do, uh, maybe you can tell us more about the work that you do with Global Voices and how it intersects with uh, the digital rights work. Absolutely. So, Global Voices overall is an organization that works on um, news and human rights. I mean, this is very much a TLDR version. Uh, we have a lot of volunteers. We have a trans. We have a lot of translators and activists, journalists who write for us and and translate for us. And one of the things we focus on is digital rights. We have a special section called AdBox, wow. where I'm the editor, where we focus on digital rights, press freedom, and freedom of expression. Those are our main focuses there, and we try to do what we can to support these things with uh, reporting, with advocacy, and uh, with research. And most recently, we've been working for the past year on a really cool uh, research project called the Unfreedom Monitor, mm -hmm. where we have looked at how digital authoritarianism is coming up in different countries all over the world. And mm -hmm. we have so far covered about, I think, 20 countries, mm -hmm. and we have four crossing, four cross-cutting themes that we use. We look at access, we look at information, as in misinformation, disinformation. We look at speech. Um, freedom of expression, lack of, uh, and we look at data governance and privacy and surveillance and all of those things. So it has been unbelievably eye-opening to see how many countries that are all democracies uh, are doing this. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, India, for example, I'm from India and we are called the world's biggest democracy. And on paper, yeah, we are. We have elections. They are reasonably free. People do vote. But it doesn't, there are no civil society checks and balances anymore. And it's quite scary to see the kind of things that are coming out. So uh, you mentioned your work in AdFox and then the Unfreedom Monitor. So I guess you have a great idea as to what would be the digital rights trends across the region. Well, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I can't like claim to know that well. Mm -hmm. But I will say that one thing we've noticed across the region, in fact, we discussed this in my panel yesterday with my two colleagues mm -hmm. uh, who researched Hong Kong and the Philippines. Um, a very big trend, and this is a trend I would say all over the world so far, is to use laws, to use legislation. Whether you pass legislation that is vague and badly defined so that you can abuse it easily, mm -hmm. whether you pass legislation that enables something like um, data collection for easier distribution of the public um, um, food system and stuff like that, mm -hmm. which we have in India, for example. Yeah. Uh, and But what happens to that data? Who looks after it? And do people even think about these things? I mean, in India, the greatest, the latest ad is something called Digiyatra, which is like digital travel. It's an app, of, it's a facial recognition app mm -hmm. that you use to go through the airport mm -hmm. really fast. I'm not joking. We're training facial recognition technology and algorithms for the government because we want to skip lines in the airport. And I've tried to have this conversation with a lot of people and they're just like, oh, the government has my data anyway. So uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. So I would say legislation is a big trend. Uh, harassing journalists, using legislation specifically to harass, to harass journalists and independent media outlets, also very much a big trend. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think the third trend that came up in our discussion yesterday was around, uh, you know, the amount of misinformation that gets put out. This is much more the Philippines and India than mm -hmm. um, Hong Kong per se. There is so much misinfo that you kind of lose, the, you don't know what anything means anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, internet shutdowns, which again, something that India is, uh, is very good at. Mm -hmm. um, and we use them in many ways <laughs> for many things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I, I guess uh, with one thing you mentioned earlier, given the work with AdFox and in Freedom Monitor, um, making people realize and care about their control over their data, digital rights in general. I think that is also one thing that you contribute, given that, um, well, from what I saw with the Global Voices pieces that came around, um, it's really public facing. Then. So, so I wonder um, when it comes to um, making an impact to increasing public knowledge and building knowledge around these issues. Do you have specific credit strategies that you use within your team? I don't know. No, we don't have any conscious strategies, I would say. But personally, as an editor, my philosophy is always that, look, it's not about sounding important. It's about making sure that the other person understands you. Yeah. Uh, and I try very hard, especially in the research space, people use complicated language and yeah. concepts. And I try very hard to remove all of that. When we talk about these things, I try to have conversations with people. Mm -hmm. We all do at GV. Uh, we do. We talk to people in our world about these things. Um, and the idea, I think, more than anything else is to try. And what we try to do is make sure that we can hold space for as many voices as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. Because if nothing else, the fact that it is there, even if it's only a, a thousand other people who see it, it's still a thousand people who have seen it. Mm -hmm. And you can, at the end of the day, 
come together with a certain amount of information and understand it across contexts, you know, which is what the Unfreedom Monitor also does because we have a public uh, database mm -hmm. uh, which is full of all the research we've done. So just a little bit about the research might get boring, but stay with me. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Our methodology is very simple. Okay, our researchers would take an incident, something that happened in their country. So in my country, for example, in India, one of the things researched was the internet shutdown in the state of Kashmir that lasted for a very long time. Then the researcher would look for media items, whether it's social media chatter, telegram channels, published media, print media, TV channels, whatever, to pull up a certain number of items and then analyze those items with context to understand what are the narratives around this incident. So around this incident, you would get a narrative that said that internet access is a, fun, a fundamental human right. But you'd also get a narrative that said internet access is not a fundamental right or that national security is more important than freedom of speech or something like that. And what happens in the database is when you have people working on these things and giving it this context across so many countries, you suddenly realize these narratives occur across the board. Mm -hmm. You have like these very large narratives, the national security is more important than uh, freedom of speech is a very strong narrative you can find in almost every country we have studied. And it's, it's fascinating to see that people actually believe it. Mm -hmm. It's not just necessarily propagated by the state. You mentioned earlier harassment of journalists. I wonder if your team at Global Voices, given that you cover digital <laughs> rights issues and um, other very important issues that um, need to have more attention uh, from the public and from um, key people, I wonder if um, your team actually experiences harassment in other forms of intimidation. There are definitely people on the GV team who get harassed a lot. Uh, one of my colleagues in Turkey, Arzu, she gets constant amount of harassment because she's been a very outspoken person in this space for a very long time. Uh, personally, I have never experienced this touch wood, but I also, I'll be honest, I keep a low profile. Mm -hmm. I don't advertise this part of my work like to the public face of mm -hmm. the world. I don't really use Twitter mm -hmm. um, and my Instagram is cats. So, <laughs> you know, I try to keep it a little quiet because it is a, it is a risk and I've seen what it's done to friends and colleagues and other organizations. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there was just a session that I, that I wanted to go to which talked about online gender-based violence in India, which is huge, vast. No matter what you say, they'll turn around and you'll get a rape threat like in three minutes. I'll find your mother and I will rape her. And you're just like, guys, you can say you don't agree with me. Mm. So um, it's something that I'm very careful about. So but I haven't ex uh, experienced it myself. But yes, there are many people in our community. A lot of our researchers are anonymous. Mm -hmm. uh, for this very reason, we give people the option to publish at Adbox under, uh, without, a, without their name at all, so that mm. they can stay safe from mm -hmm. being tracked and harassed in their own countries. It's a legitimate problem. And the, the problem with anonymity is at the end of the day, we're all trained to assume that anonymity means this is not a credible source. Mm -hmm. If it's true, put your name to it, right? Yeah. Um, and what happens then is you start believing anonymous sources, which is important when they are saying the right thing. But it also opens up this whole space for any anonymous source to be credible. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's a very dangerous, complicated space to navigate. Mm -hmm. But I guess uh, the responsibility there lies now on the organization, yes. for example, Global Voices. We have to vet them. Yeah. Exactly. So the reason that you don't mind, it's not a completely anonymous, okay, it's going out with the Adbox byline. So you know that Adbox has done the diligence and this is not 
something that they made up. Okay. In that sense. So, thank you so much. For moving forward, what do you see would be the direction of AdFox when it, given the work you, you've been doing now? How do you see it scaling up in the future, I guess? Um, well, you know how it is in this world. If you need to scale anything up, you need to scale up your funding. Mm -hmm. But that aside... <laughs> Hopefully there's funding. Give Let's assume that there's funding. There's funding, okay. <laughs> On that word, right. I mean, we definitely want to run this in more countries. Mm -hmm. We want to keep constant monitoring going on like this to keep adding to the database, to pick an incident every month, have a researcher pick an incident work around it and update it. I would love to set up a website dedicated only to the monitor where we have, right now we publish in reports. Our reports are PDFs, which is nice, but PDFs are like out of date by the time they're released, you know. I would love to have like a, a website that actually keeps updating with what we're finding out in our research, you know, like, okay, this month we found out this new, this new narrative has come out in India. Add a sentence, whatever, you know. Um, but that requires uh, resources, which, you know, in this, in this hypothetical we have, so mm. that's what we do. But we also want to expand research into further things. Okay. We want to look into spyware. We want to look at um, things like, what is the role corporations play, private corporations? Because, uh, well, you know, they, they don't have the same accountability or checks and balances, and they operate transnationally. So it's really quite complicated to figure out, because you know, Twitter may have, or Facebook will have its, its code of conduct in the US, but will not necessarily follow that in another country where we have no way to enforce it. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so, you know, it's, um, there are endless possibilities. Mm -hmm. I would very much like to do some more uh, concerted advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, I don't fully know what shape it's going to take. And one of the reasons why we're coming out with the research right now is we are inviting people to help us make sense of an advocacy plan for this. Mm -hmm. Um, which is what we'll be doing at RightsCon, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, and I want to also set up, uh, create a bunch of workshops and little exercises. The dream, I have a, a, a friend of mine designs games for civic participation. Mm -hmm. And the dream is to build a little online game where you actually understand what happens when you use facial recognition technology as your boarding pass. What are the consequences, you know, something like that. It's really great. I hope it happens. Me too. Yeah. Hopefully there's funders watching this episode <laughs> and they like really provide the support. Yes, that's the hope. Okay. And for our viewers that are, you know, um, movers in the digital rights space yeah. in the Asia Pacific, um, what collaborations, uh, collaboration points are you open to doing with them and how can they reach you? Well, I would love to collaborate, frankly, on anything on digital rights in the Asia Pacific because I think Collaboration is really how we get strong because we're all yeah. small groups. We're all fighting in nation states, mm -hmm. like in terms of the size of what we have to go work up, work against. So I definitely feel like, but any collaboration around specifically things like internet shutdowns, things like advocacy or um, trying to figure out how to affect policy change. These are things that I think would be really, really helpful mm -hmm. uh, and valuable. Uh, also, anyone who wants to write for us about digital rights is more than welcome to do so. Um, we are volunteer, all our writers are volunteers though, so I should mention that. <laughs> Unless we have an actual project that is funding writing, unfortunately, this is where we are. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, it's um, globalvoices.org. And right on the front page, you'll see the Unfreedom Monitor, you'll see Advox, you'll see everything else. You can reach us there. 
Okay, great. So I hope our viewers uh, contribute and reach out for so. collaborations. Thank you for having me. This yeah. is so nice of you. It has been wonderful chatting with you uh, during this episode and during Great <laughs> Back 23. Yes. And I look forward to seeing you in the other convenings and yes. um, having collaborations with you. Absolutely. We've done some with engagement in the past and I want to do more. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching another episode of Pretty Good Podcast. For more episodes, please visit engagemedia.org slash podcast, or you can also head over to cinemata.org to watch previous and upcoming episodes of Pretty Good Podcast, basically. Thank you so much, and see you next time. Bye-bye.